The community of faith is facing pressure from all sides. There is pressure from within because false teachers have crept into the community and are promoting doctrines that help to undermine faith in Jesus. There's pressure from without because the surrounding culture continually entices believers to embrace ungodly behavior, to embrace values that are contrary to the teaching of Jesus. It's a tough time to be a Christian. Now, I could be talking about the church in America, but I'm not. Talking about the circumstances of a man named Timothy. Timothy is leading a church in a city called Ephesus in the first century. And his faith and his church are under assault. And in moments like that, moments when we face pressure, that's when believers sometimes wilt. Timothy desperately needs to be encouraged. So the Apostle Paul writes him a letter for that purpose, and among other things, Paul reminds Timothy to hold on to the truth of God that is revealed in the Bible. Paul wants Timothy never to forget that the wisdom God provides in the Bible equips us to deal with any and all of the challenges of life. And most importantly, Paul wants Timothy to hold on to Jesus. Because knowing the Bible is not an end in itself. Knowing the Bible is the means to knowing Jesus. And this is so important to understand because we don't build a relationship with a book. And when we're under pressure, it's easy to abandon a book. It's much harder to abandon Jesus if we know him and we are connected to him. And Paul is reminding Timothy here, and because this is here for us in the Bible, it's for every generation of believers to know that we come to this book, the Bible, and we embrace it in order to embrace the God who gave it to us as a gift. That's the advice that Paul offers. So Timothy can sustain his faith under pressure. And it's advice that we need to hear because we, like Timothy, live in the midst of an ungodly culture. And whenever there is pressure, whenever there are competing values, that's when we must hold on to Jesus. So this morning we're going to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17, and see what we can learn about the importance of embracing the Bible and through the Bible to embrace Jesus more fully. The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy and says, As for you, continue in what you have learned, and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed. What a fascinating phrase. God-breathed. And is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every, every good work. Now there is a wealth of information in these few verses. 
And in the middle of the week, when I reviewed my notes on this passage, I estimated that if I were to touch on everything of value here, I could probably preach and teach for at least 90 minutes. Now, I'm merciful. So I'm not going to do that to you. Or to me, for that matter. But I mentioned this. So you realize that there is breadth and depth to these words that God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to write to Timothy. And this morning, we want to zero in on three key points that Paul makes so we can understand the importance of embracing the Bible and the God who gave us the Bible. And first and foremost, it's vital for us to understand that the Bible is unique because it is a God-breathed book. That's a point that Paul drives home here in verse 16. God himself breathed this book into existence. Now, God isn't human, and he doesn't need to draw breath the way that we do. Yet the Bible periodically describes God as breathing. And whenever it does, whenever God breathes in Scripture, it's always in connection with giving life. When God breathes, he breathes life into someone or something. For example, we learn from the book of Genesis that God breathed into humanity to give us the gift of life. In a similar way, he breathed himself into this book we call the Bible. He breathed out his spirit and he breathed his wisdom and his knowledge into the minds of individuals who then wrote down what God prompted them to say. And because God breathed it, it means the Bible is a living book. So if we ever think we've mastered all that God can teach us through the Bible, or if we think there's no further way that God can use the wisdom of the Bible to shape our character, then we don't understand the living power that this book has. Because it's a God-breathed book, then it's not mankind's attempt to discover God. It's one of the primary ways that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And this means we can't approach it nor evaluate it the way that we would evaluate or approach any other book. We can't claim this book is suspect because we don't understand it all. We can't claim that it's untrustworthy simply because we haven't been able to verify all of it. And in fact, history is full of examples of skeptics who wanted to undermine the Bible and therefore make God irrelevant, and instead they wound up actually validating the claims of Scripture. I could provide you with example after example. But here's my favorite. William Foxwell Albright is considered the father of modern archaeology and is perhaps one of the greatest archaeologists that ever lived. And back in the early 1900s, like many people in his generation, he was familiar with the Bible. People just kind of went to church and got familiar with the scriptures. And he was reading the book of Genesis. And in chapter 14, he read a story about this battle of five kings engaging in a fight against four other kings. And at that time, there was no archaeological evidence in existence that this battle ever had taken place. And so, since humans had not yet 
confirmed what God already had revealed, Albright assumed the Bible was in error. You see, he did what we often do. We second-guess our creator as if we know better. So Albright set out to prove that the Bible was untrustworthy. So he studied the details of the biblical text and he poured over ancient maps and he read ancient military history. And based on his research, he was able to determine where these particular armies would have traveled and where they would have camped if the biblical story was true. He then formed an archaeological team and they excavated along the route. And guess what? They found concrete evidence that two armies had traveled and camped and fought right where the Bible said that they had. This was a life-changing discovery for Albright. You see, he discovered that the Bible revealed something is true before human beings ever had verified it. And that began his own personal spiritual journey from skepticism to faith in Jesus. Again, there are countless stories like that. And such stories remind us that the Bible is trustworthy because it is a God-breathed book. And therefore, the wisest thing we can do is not to act as if the Bible is subject to us, but instead to put ourselves under the authority of this book and its author. That's why Paul reminds Timothy here in our passage to lean on God and to lean on the truth that God has revealed in the Bible. Truth that Timothy thankfully was taught from his earliest years. He was raised and steeped in a knowledge of the scriptures. And how we acquired that is fascinating. We know from other parts of the Bible that Timothy's father was a Greek who followed the pagan gods. His mother and grandmother were faithful Jews. And thankfully, the women in his life were his dominant spiritual influence. And it's thanks to their teaching that Timothy was grounded in biblical wisdom. And now when Timothy is under such great pressure in Ephesus, when there are all kinds of things happening that might cause him to turn away from what he knows to be true, Paul wants Timothy to hold on to that wisdom that has been deeply ingrained and embedded in his life. And Paul wants Timothy to remember that God's wisdom revealed in the Bible always points toward Jesus. And that's what he highlights here in verse 15. He lets us know that the Bible is a book of spiritual wisdom. Not human wisdom, spiritual wisdom. Wisdom that helps us know that we are spiritually lost if we're apart from God. And we need to be rescued the Bible calls that salvation. We need wisdom to know that we need to be spiritually rescued and we need wisdom to be able to place our faith in Jesus. Because you see, wisdom is more than knowledge. Faith, by definition, goes beyond what we actually can know. So faith requires wisdom. And we need wisdom to be able to take the truth that is revealed in the Bible, truth that points us toward Jesus, and then we close the gap by taking a step of faith and putting our trust in Jesus. And it takes wisdom to do that. 
I think Paul is reminding us here that we don't put our faith in a book. We put our faith in a Lord. We put our faith in Jesus. We need to embrace the Bible, but we embrace the Bible in order to embrace the God who gave us the Bible. And I believe in all of this, Paul is telling us that we cannot read this book the way that we read other books. We can't read it like an atlas or an encyclopedia or a rule book. We don't read it simply to learn ancient history or to accumulate religious facts. God lovingly has given us this book so that we can get connected to Jesus. And then once we choose to put our trust in Jesus, then the God who authored this book will show us how to live by faith. We never can forget that God breathed out the Bible not simply to give us information, but to actually reshape the way that we live. God wants to use this book to teach us and to train us so we can live as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul talks about and highlights here in verses 16 and 17. And I think we often miss the importance of what he's saying there. We miss the importance of how God actually wants to use the Bible in our lives. I think sometimes we overemphasize teaching and we underemphasize training. Training is where we learn how to be guided by God's truth in the actual situations of life. Now, teaching is vital, and that's where it starts. And we need to put ourselves in situations where we can be taught God's truth. And we can do that by reading the Bible on our own. We can do that in our life groups. We do that here in church when we listen to a sermon. We all need to be taught. Yet we can be properly taught and not properly trained. And if we're not trained, then we're not, to prepare, we're not prepared to live in ways that actually honor God. If we're not trained, then the information that we learn, the truth that we learn, just becomes facts that we accumulate. And then it doesn't really affect how we live. I'm saddened by the fact that On a regular basis, polling organizations will do lifestyle surveys of Christians. And they often discover that the way believers live when it comes to issues that are ethical and moral in nature, that oftentimes there's very little difference between the way believers live and people who have no faith whatsoever. You see far too many people who say, yes, I'm a follower of Christ don't actually live out the truth that they know. And that's why training is essential. That's why I believe God spoke to Paul and said, I want you to write that in. Training is essential because godly training equips us for right living, for righteousness. And the godly knowledge we get through the Bible, combined with the godly wisdom we get through the Bible, combined with godly training, then prepares you and prepares me to do the right thing in the situations of life that we encounter. And how does that work? How does God actually train us? I believe that God trains us when we stop compartmentalizing our lives. 
I think it's way too easy to put the church piece and the religious piece over here and divorce it from what goes on in the rest of our lives. And God begins to train us when we take the truth that we've learned in teaching settings and then we let God himself show us how to use it. And as you and I go through our day at work, in our neighborhood, with our families, with our friends, if we're paying attention, the Holy Spirit will train us how to live differently than we used to by wisely applying biblical truth to whatever situation that we might encounter. Now here's an example of teaching and training at work. In my last church, our life group went through a study where we were looking at Christian ethics and we looked at a number of Bible passages that talked about honesty and truth in our personal relationships and in our business dealings. There was a member of our group who was a guy named Stan and Stan was a wheeler dealer. Stan was the kind of guy that loved to shrewdly negotiate in any transaction and if he got the better of you, he took advantage of you, he'd feel like he won. And if you felt perhaps a little shortchanged, he'd say, oh, it's just business. So Stan found our discussions very challenging. And as we talked together in our group and evaluated biblical truth and the wisdom that God was giving us, Stan began to see that there were times in his life when he was cutting ethical corners. There was times when he was taking advantage of other people in ways that he wouldn't want to be taken advantage of if he was on the other side. God was using the Bible to teach him some new things. However, that's not enough. Stan needed to take that knowledge he had to be trained so he could use what he was learning. And here's the way that God began to do just that. One afternoon, Stan goes to the store to buy a new winter coat. So he browses among the racks and he finds a coat that he likes. But there's actually two price tags hanging on the buttons of the coat. One of those price tags is much lower than the other in price. It's not clear which price is correct. And they're both legitimate tags. So Stan, Mr. Shrewd, says, I'm going to turn this situation to my advantage. He takes the higher price tag and he puts it in the pocket of the coat. Walks up to the cashier, goes to the checkout process, no red flags are highlighted, and Stan walks out of the store having paid this amazingly low price for this very nice winter coat. And as he walks out, he's gloating to himself. Ah, I was so shrewd. <laughs> Look at the savings. And then on the way to his car, he started to feel very uncomfortable. His conscience began to bother him. And Stan listened to his conscience and he realized that the Holy Spirit was trying to get his attention. So Stan starts to think this through and he realizes that he made a fundamental error. The right thing to do, the godly thing to do, would have been to walk up to the check stand, show this to the clerk and say, which of these two price tags is correct? He obviously just made an assumption and he made that assumption in his favor. And the more that he ponders that, the more he realizes that he blew it. He didn't handle that transaction in a God-honoring way. But now he's got a second problem. 
He doesn't want to be inconvenienced and embarrassed and go back into the store and have to fix it. So he stands there on the sidewalk arguing with himself for several minutes. And then finally he relents. Goes back in the store, tells the clerk, hey, I discovered this other price tag. <laughs> and the higher price was actually the correct price. So then Stan wound up paying the money that he owed. And as Stan left the store, he realized three very significant things had just happened in his life. And he shared all of this with our group. First thing that happened is Stan realized he had just been through a moment of spiritual training. He realized that the Holy Spirit had taken biblical truth that he had learned, and then in the midst of this real-life moment, the Spirit had prompted him to take that knowledge and to use it wisely so his actions would honor God. And if Stan hadn't been listening, if he'd ignored the prompting of the Spirit, then all of the teaching that he had learned would have been useless. It would have been useless because it wasn't reshaping his life. That's why we need to let God train us. And second, Stan realized that if he hadn't taken corrective action, he would have been guilty of stealing by paying that lower price. And he realized that sometimes in his other transactions, when he said, oh, I was just being shrewd, oh, I just got a good deal, he was actually engaging in forms of theft. And so Stan was grateful that he listened. Listened to the Holy Spirit nudge his conscience and do the right thing. He was allowing God to train him in righteousness, in right living. And third, and this also was very significant, he realized that he had just had confirmation that God was active in his life. That moment of spiritual training helped him see that he was building an ever deeper connection with God. He was learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. He was learning to live by faith, not faith in a book, but faith in the living God. The God we have the opportunity to embrace when we embrace the truth and the wisdom he reveals through this God-breathed book this living book called the Bible that God wants to use to reshape continually your life and mine. And as we ponder this advice that Paul gives to Timothy, advice which is for every generation of believers, I find myself wondering, is there a next step that God might want you to take in your own experience of the Bible? Is God perhaps prompting you or inviting you or me to do something new so we can more fully embrace the Bible and more fully embrace our God? And I have some thoughts to offer. I know that many of you never ever actually pick up the Bible and read it. You get exposed to the Bible in church or in a group, but on your own you never just pick it up and read it. Maybe that's because you convince yourself you don't have time. Maybe it's because you're intimidated by it. Whatever the reason, I want to invite you to begin making it a practice to read the Bible consistently. And here's a simple way to get started. I always encourage people to start with the book of Mark in the New Testament. It's the shortest biography of Jesus. 
It's crisp, it's concise, and if you read that book, you will get to know Jesus. And I want to invite you several times a week to pick up Mark and to read a chapter, chapter a day. And pray before you read. Say, God, help me to understand something of your truth as I read today. And after you read, pray again and say, God, is there something here that you want me to take with you today? Even just one kernel of truth that you might sear into my mind that I can be thinking about and aware of throughout the day. And perhaps, perhaps your Holy Spirit will want to nudge me and begin to train me so that that piece of your truth can now begin to show up in my life so I can be trained in righteousness. To do life the way you want, God. Now maybe, maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you're like me and you're used to reading the Bible. We have a different challenge. The challenge for us is that we can get stagnant. And we can start to take this book for granted. And we can open to a passage and go, oh yeah, I got that one all figured out. I know everything there's to know about that one. Oh, God forgive us when we have that attitude. I think we need to pray each time we come to the scriptures and say, God, reveal new things to me about the life of faith. Reveal new things to me about myself and how I can live more for you. I need to pray and say, God, don't just teach me, but train me. Train me to live life in a righteous way. Show me how to embrace you so that I will hold on to you no matter what challenges or pressures or temptations may come my way. It is so vital for us to learn how to embrace the Bible so we can embrace the God who gave us the Bible. You know, Timothy, as I mentioned, was privileged. He was raised with the truth of the Scriptures. He had family members just... Build that into him from his earliest days. I didn't enjoy that privilege. I grew up in an unchurched home. I had no clue about God or Jesus or the Bible until I was a teenager. And when I went away to college, I had been a Christian about 10 months. I'd spent those 10 months going to church pretty regularly and getting involved in my youth group. So I was learning some things, but I was very much still a spiritual rookie. And I needed to develop a strong foundation for my faith. And when I got to my college, I found that there was a vibrant Christian group on our campus, and the leader of that group took me aside and helped me understand the value of this God-breathed book. And I can't remember the exact words he spoke to me, but he said to me something like this. He said, don't read the Bible simply to learn the book, Bruce. Read the Bible to embrace its story. The story of the God who loves us and who pursues us. Read the Bible so that you can know and embrace the God who authored it. And the more that you do this, the more you will discover that you are inescapably within the embrace of God. I took his advice to heart. Spent time reading the Bible almost every day. And I laid a solid foundation for a life of faith by meeting God in the pages of the Bible. Through this God-breathed book, I built a strong connection with God. And that has sustained me through seasons of great joy and seasons of great struggle. 
In his communion thought, Rob talked about the storms of life, and we've all had them. We've all faced them. And as a follower of Jesus, I have experienced the pain of job loss and unemployment. I've experienced the tragic, tragic deaths of people who I deeply loved. I've had close friends turn on me and betray me and stab me in the back. Some of you have experienced those kinds of things as well. And the fact is, those are the kinds of things that cause many people to abandon their faith. And it forces us to ask the question, who or what have we placed our faith in? Is our faith in a book? Is our faith in our knowledge of the book? Or is our faith in the author of the book? I hope that we will make it a priority to embrace this God-breathed book so we can embrace God. And as we embrace God more and more, let's ask him to keep us fully and firmly within his embrace. Let's embrace the Bible.